good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Glad to be able to bring you some sports information, hopefully some entertainment, and some thought-provoking discussion. That's, that's my goal every week. Make you laugh. Make you think. I'm no Jimmy Valvano, but if you do these three things every week, you'll have had a good podcast. Make you think. Make you laugh. And teach you something. So if I do those three things, I've done my job. Got a lot to talk about today as the pandemic rolls on. So does the hope for sports going forward. And many sports are just going forward and, hey, it's going to happen. While states are starting to shut back down and different things are happening, doesn't seem to be affecting the plans of sports. And the one sport that seemingly is unaffected at this point by the plans is football. Football's further away. Training camps would be happening in about a month right now. So we'll see. That's going to be the first indicator if the NFL, or for that matter, college and high school football, decide to go forward. But the NFL continues to make news. And in an era with no sports, when there is sports news, it's generally well-received and well-talked about. And when the Patriots signed, Cam Newton the other night, very much the case. Cam Newton, a former MVP, goes to New England to replace Tom Brady. Jared Stidham, the second-year quarterback, a fourth-round pick out of Auburn, was thought to be the guy going forward for the Pats as they look to replace the greatest quarterback of all time, and many people, including mine, opinion. And Stidham was somebody that, Players, coaches spoke volumes about how much confidence they had in him. By the way, not so coincidentally, the Patriots announced the Cam Newton signing the same day the NFL announced that the Patriots have been slapped on the wrist for Spygate 747. This is yet another example of Belichick doing whatever he can to gain an advantage. Patriots forfeited a third-round pick. $1.1 million fine for illegally taping games against the Browns and the Bengals. Now, that third-round pick that they're giving up, nobody plays the compensatory pick formula better than the Patriots. Signing Cam Newton to a one-year deal, roughly $7.5 million if he hits his incentives, which for a starting quarterback is very low on the pay scale, he'll likely bring back a third-round pick the following year as a compensatory pick. So the pick is a wash. You lose a pick because you cheated. You get a pick back because you were smart enough to sign Cam Newton. The question about Cam Newton is, where is he physically? And while two years of an injury or injuries, I think have tarnished people's minds about Cam Newton, at 31 years old, I'm still optimistic that this guy has a lot left in the tank last year was a disaster the foot injury it just uh, two games in he had to go and the Panthers season spiraled accordingly now going back a year to the 2018 season and if you remember that year Newton's season was cut short because of his shoulder surgery and at the end of that year if you watched games and I did Cam could not throw the ball. To throw a 20-yard pass 
he looked like me trying to shoot a half-court shot in basketball. I got to put everything behind it. It's not a natural motion. That's what Cam looked like. That shoulder was shot. Yet, you look statistically at what Cam Newton did that year. And that was the first year the Panthers had brought in Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey did not lead the Panthers in rushing in 2018. Cam Newton did. He had 750 yards rushing, 754 to be exact. He was an absolute beast, as always, on the ground. He also threw for over 3,300 yards and completed a career high of 68% of his passes. The touchdown to interception ratio, 24 to 13, was more than acceptable. That's basically two to one. And you can live with that. And I think that's an area more than any other area that Bill Belichick is going to look at and say, this is where Cam Newton has got to be very good. He's got to be able to take care of the football. If he does that, then I really think this could be a great signing for the Patriots. The Panthers were a run-first team generally with Cam Newton. Cam's weapons over the years varied from a couple good and the rest of who to who are these guys out there? And I think the Patriots' weapons this year are something of the same. You start to look at the wide receivers. Keneal Harry was a first-round pick or second-round pick who hasn't really shown much. There's still optimism. But what has he got? Julian Edelman, the guy who's always open running crossers, is he a guy who's going to mesh well with Cam? The two tight ends the Patriots drafted this year in the third round, hopefully they find something there because they certainly are, for the first time in a long time, a team without strength at the tight end position. Go back to pre-Gronk and even Adrian Hernandez, the killer, that before they had a weaker position at the tight end group. But I think where Cam may benefit the Patriots and the Patriots may benefit Cam is in philosophy. The philosophy of modern NFL football is you score points and you score a lot of them. You throw the football, you continue to throw the football, and the more you throw the football, the better your team is. Last year, we saw Lamar Jackson win an MVP and a run-first team. Lamar Jackson's athleticism is Cam Newton to the next level. He has great ability to get in the open field and use his legs. The threat of the run also allows Baltimore's, I think, very mediocre skill set on the outside. Maybe Hollywood Brown becomes a dynamic star. I do like the tight end group they have. But generally, those guys, I don't think, scare anybody. But the threat of the run from Lamar Jackson, you're constantly seeing Lamar hitting guys who are wide open. It's a great asset to have a running quarterback. The Bills have it in Josh Allen. We see it used quite often when you watch Bills games. I've always compared Josh to Cam Newton. Cam, though, at 31 years old, has been around the block has, I think, better knowledge of the game, a better ability to read defenses at this point than young quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. 
And then there's the fact that the Patriots' strength last year was their defense. It wasn't the offense. Even though Tom Brady was there, that offense was a joke. They had injuries on that offensive line. They had Sony Michelle have a second year that was terrible because of injury. I mean, he, he was very good as a rookie, and now people are talking about him as being done. I thought the injuries in the offensive line went a long way to ha- having him not be good. But teams that play good defense and run the football are teams that win a lot of football games. Those two elements win football games. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs last year showed that if you could throw the ball all over the field and if you can score points, you're going to win a lot of games. They won a championship because they have a special group. They have so much speed on the outside with Tyreek Hill. They've also got Sammy Watkins, who's finally found a niche. McCall Herdman has been good. Travis Kelsey's the best tight end in football right now. You add that to a quarterback with an immense skill set, you're going to put points up. Their defense played really well in the playoffs, allowed them to get there. I actually think their addition this year in the draft of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU is going to pay huge dividends and maybe make them more difficult because now it's not just about Mahomes and those guys. You're able to run the football and throw the backs out of the backfield. You run everyone down the field, you hit a back out of the backfield, little swing pass goes for 38 yards. That That's a huge asset to have. The Chiefs have that. But in the AFC, I think you look at the best teams. The Steelers, I can't put up there because I don't know what they are because of Ben Roethlisberger. If he's healthy, then I put them right there because I think their defense is going to be very good. I think offensively with Ben, they're going to be fine. But Starting to look throughout the league at the teams I think are the best. Buffalo Bills are in that category. I think the Patriots are still in that category. The Ravens and and Chiefs certainly are. And three of those teams, three of those four that I think are the best four in the AFC right now are run-first defensive teams. It's a shift in philosophy away from what everyone's telling us has to happen for teams to succeed the better you run the football the longer your defense spends getting rested and the Patriots defense is very good they were number one in the league last year in both points allowed the fewest and yards allowed the fewest they will only be better I think this year as that group continues to grow and they continue to add to it a guy like Chase Winowich who I think can rush the passer very well, should grow in his role. So I think there are reasons why Cam Newton makes a lot of sense going forward. You start to look at that running back group. I mentioned Sony Michelle should have a bounce-back year. Rex Burkett is going to be back healthy, an asset catching the football out of the backfield. They brought in Brandon Bolden, and James White is still incredibly effective as a pass-catching back out of the backfield. I mentioned the wide receivers and the tight ends. You start to look, though, at the offensive line. Getting guys like David Andrews back healthy and bringing along the young kid, Isaiah Wynn. Remember, two years ago, he was their first pick out of Georgia as a left tackle. Missed his rookie year, played last year, got dinged, 
but showed some things. So I think the offensive line should improve. Now, one thing I got to point out, through Belichick's time in New England, the one thing the Patriots have had that nobody else has had is, in my opinion, the best offensive line coach in the history of football, Dante Scarnecchia. This guy can take average and make him great. How many guys have left New England because the Patriots won't pay them starting left tackle salary? Go somewhere else, get a big contract, and you're like, that guy sucks. He was great last year. That's the coaching that came along with things. So I think that's a reason to not be optimistic. Am I alone in my thoughts that Cam Newton going to the Patriots is a good thing? I don't think so. Listen to LeVar Arrington of Fox Sports. Cam to New England is a great choice. It's a win-win situation for both sides. If Stidham doesn't prove out, New England and Belichick have a possible uh, replacement at starting position with Cam Newton. For Cam, this is an opportunity to play for an established, well-ran organization that wins. So this could change his career trajectory if he's healthy. And if he's healthy, he can continue the winning for uh, the New England Patriots. So LeVar and I are on the same page. I think if Cam's healthy, Cam's a starter, and the Patriots have done something incredibly smart and likely have their next quarterback for the next few years. If he's not healthy, you brought in a guy who won an MVP, can run an offense that's going to be set up to be a conservative offense anyway. Jared Stidham, if he starts, I think what you see from the Patriots' offense is much more like the Tom Brady offense the first year they won the Super Bowl. When Bledsoe got hurt and Brady came in, if you remember, it was an incredibly conservative approach because that was a defense-first team. This is a defense-first team. Whether it's Stidham, whether it's Cam, doesn't matter. Whoever it is, this team is defense-first. They win games by playing defense, running the football, and most importantly, taking care of the football. So I think that's a really important part of the puzzle, too. So here in Western New York, obviously, the Bills, if the season goes on, and that's always the big elephant in the room, have probably the best team they've had and the best opportunity they've had since the mid-90 glory days. There are people who are confident that the Bills are going to be a team that is in the Super Bowl. There are people that are confident the team to beat in the AFC East is the Buffalo Bills. My question is, are the Bills the team to beat, or are the Patriots now still the team to beat? One thing I think of when I think of these situations, the Patriots have owned the Bills. The Bills have just, for years, been a team that can't get over the hump. There's been a victory here and there, but it's been with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. That that doesn't count. Unless you're winning games at full strength, these things don't matter to me. The Bills have to knock out the champion to advance to become the champion. And that's what their, their schedule is going to make them do this year. The Patriots and Bills, in my opinion, are significantly better than the Jets and the Dolphins. Jets and the Dolphins in the AFC East are two teams 
that I think are very similar. And I think the Jets are what the Bills were two years ago. They've now added to that offensive line through free agency and through the draft as well, bringing in the kid from Louisville, Becton, in the first round. Does that give Sam Darnold the protection he needs? Does it give Le'Veon Bell the running holes he needs? They've got a Jamal Adams mess on their hands, so defensively, I'm not sure where they are, although I think when you've got a star at three levels, and they do, the Jets should be better. Down in Miami, I love what Brian Flores has done in one year, changing the culture. Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua Tonga Viola are going to be the quarterback, and neither of those guys are guys I'm ready to embrace, but they brought in a ton of talent through the draft this year and free agency and will be a much tougher out. But those two teams, their expectations are far below what the Patriots and the Bills are. To me, the team to beat this year in the AFC East is still the New England Patriots. I'll explain why, but listen to, before I maybe upset Bills fans, listen to Pete Prisco of CBS Sports explain who he thinks is the team to beat. I know you well and believe that the Buffalo Bills will fill that power vacuum. Does this move do anything for the balance of power in the AFC East? Well, I think it makes the Patriots much more competitive. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, if you're going to play Jared Stidham or an MVP uh, from previous years in Cam Newton, that's easy to decide who you want to play there if he's healthy. But again, there are issues with this Patriots team, and I love Bill Belichick. He's the greatest coach of all time in my mind, and I think he can cure a lot of your ills with his coaching. But one of those ills is pass rush. Where are they going to get that from? One of those ills, another one of those ills is that wide receiver position. Who's going to catch the ball? Who scares down the field? There's a lot of issues with this team. Uh, so no, I think the Buffalo Bills, and I'm going to stick to it, I said it, even if Brady had come back, I said that a year ago, I said the, pay, the Bills would make the playoffs last year, and they did, I said the following year they would win the division. I'm sticking to it. I think the Bills are the best team in the division. So there you have it, Bills fans. One of the most respected writers in the NFL is on board with the Bills. He is on the Bills bandwagon going forward. What I did is I looked at position group by position group to break things down to see who I thought was the better team. You look at the quarterback group, and, and the question to me, the quarterback group, is this. For this year, 2020 season, if Cam Newton is healthy, and I know that over the last two years has become a huge hit. If Cam Newton is healthy, who do you trust more? Cam Newton, coached by Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel, or Josh Allen, coached by Sean McDermott, very conservative as well. So I look at this, and, and I'm a Josh guy. I, I got to say that. I think Josh Allen is going to grow into the franchise quarterback the Bills hope he can be. I think he's going to resemble what Cam Newton did in the past. That's where I see Josh Allen's trajectory going. But Cam, in an offense with the best head coach in the history of the game, a very good offensive coordinator, I trust Cam Newton this year more than I do Josh Allen, because I think he's got a better situation and less is on him. I think there are times 
that there are still too many asks of Josh Allen. The Bills last year get away from things as far as the running game too quickly. And I think that's something that's got to change, continue to pound the football. I don't see New England doing that with their coaching staff. I do see the Bills in the past doing that more often. So let's go to the running backs. I just mentioned the Patriots running backs, James White with the third down ability, Sony Michelle, Brandon Bolden, Rex Berger. Who do you trust more? Them, what we saw from Devin Singletary, which – Huge Devin Singletary fan. Huge Devin Singletary fan. I think he could grow exponentially. But do you trust Devin Singletary and rookie Zach Moss, who we don't know anything about, more than two guys, Sonny Michelle and James White, who we know what we should get? Who do you trust more? To me, that's a draw. I don't think there's an advantage either way. If I'm going to pick one guy out of all of them, I picked Devin Singletary because I think he has the most upside. But again, this is year two. Let's see him do it for two years. The offensive line. I think the Bills have much better depth along their offensive line, and that's where Brandon Bean, in my opinion, has done the best job. On the two sides of the ball, both lines, the depth he has created, the position battles he's created, has turned this team from – a 500 team to potentially a 10 or 11 win team. And I think the Patriots have a few good players, but not nearly the depth that the Bills have. And there's always injuries. The one question mark I have about the Buffalo Bills on the offensive line is Cody Ford. This second year pick from second round pick in his second year is going to be penciled in at right tackle. I still think he's better served as a guard. And if he was the, lined up at guard as a starter, and one of the other guys, namely Ty Inseki, was starting a tackle. I would much prefer the Bills' offensive line over the Patriots, but I still think the Bills have an advantage there. The other two offensive positions, I think the Bills have a huge advantage at wide receiver, but again, that's where you end up getting a little bit of, we have good receivers, we should throw the ball more when maybe you're putting more on your young quarterback. It's a positive that could turn into a negative. The tight end group, both are very unproven. Tyler Croft isn't somebody I believe in at all for the Bills. Lee Smith is a blocking back, a blocking tight end who's very limited. I love what I see potentially from Dawson Knox and even Tommy Sweeney last year. Those two guys I thought showed signs. Showing signs doesn't mean anything. So the Patriots and Bills both even there. Defensive line, I mentioned the depth. Look this stat up. The Bills have now five guys this year who will be on the defensive line that were drafted in either the first or the second round. Yes, two of them not drafted by the Bills. Yeah, Star Latulule, actually three of them. Star Latulule was a first-round pick, as was Jerry Hughes and, of course, Ed Oliver. Bill's first-round pick, Trent Murphy, and the rookie, A.J. Epinenza, are second-round picks. So the Bills have a ton of talent on that defensive line. Plus, they've found some guys further in the draft, Harrison Phillips, third-rounder, to give them other depth that should go a long way. The Patriots, 
it's like they went to Bargain Outlet and bought some tile. You know, they're going to redo their floor. You get five pieces of that, four pieces of this. They're all cheap. We put them together. You coach them up, and maybe you get something. So Bills have a huge advantage there. Linebacker position is one position that the Bills have one area that scares the heck out of me, and I'm not disappointed with the way they handled it. I was surprised with the way they handled it. With Lorenzo Alexander retiring, and Lorenzo did so many different things for the Bills. I thought that they should have really made an attempt to go get somebody to step into that position to continue to let Trey Edmonds and Matt Milano grow the way they need to. And they went out and got A.J. Klein, who might turn out to be a good player, might make some plays. He's just a guy, in my opinion. And, and I may be dead wrong on that. I've just not seen enough to think that he's going to step in and be a factor this year. So I didn't like that move. But I think overall that the Patriots have a little bit better skill level at all. Well, they play a 3-4, so all four positions. So I give the Patriots a slight edge at linebacker because they're a little more even across the board. The two secondaries are the two best in the NFL, in my opinion. There isn't a team I can look at and say, they're better. You want to talk secondaries? The best two are in New England and San and Buffalo. So I put that as a draw. Special teams, because of Bill Belichick, the Patriots are always better. Coaching, as much as I love Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick's the greatest of all time. Advantage there. I, looking at it this way, breaking it down by position, still think the Patriots are the better team. Now, injuries will play a huge part, and frankly, the quarterbacks. Two very big question marks, and that's going to be a huge part of this season as well. Does Josh Allen take that step forward? Year one to year two, 52 to 58% completion percentage. Does he go now to 62, 63? If he does that, keeps the touchdown to interception ratio where it was last year and continues to use his legs, and I think the Bills, with the addition of Zach Moss, should get a little bit better in short yardage and maybe not lean on Allen as much that way. I think that Josh can be taking that big step forward. If Cam's healthy, if he's 2017 and 18 Cam before the shoulder injury, I think he is a pro ball player. I think he's potentially a all-pro and I think the way that the Patriots will use him, similar to what the Ravens did last year with Lamar Jackson, it's going to look different in New England, but I think it's going to complement what is the best defense in the NFL. So I still think the Patriots are the team to beat. I hope that they get beat. And again, if you're a Bills fan, remember this. When those two teams play, I, I don't think there are must-wins early in the schedule. But when the Bills play the Patriots, and I believe it's a night game in early October, that's a knockout. The Bills have to win that game, and I think they have to win it convincingly. Now, something else that probably got Bills Mafia all upset this week was a top 10 coaches list that came out. And anytime you don't give a Bills player credit 
the way Bill's Mafia thinks they should. God forbid you bring up Josh Allen's completion percentage. They lose their mind. But Sean McDermott has done a great job turning this franchise around. He and Brandon Bean inherited a mess left by Rex Ryan and Doug Whaley. And they have taken it and turned it completely around in a couple of years and been to the playoffs two out of three years. The year they didn't, they gutted the roster to shed salary cap issue. They now are sitting in a position where the salary cap's in good shape. They've got the young quarterback on his rookie contract, and they've got depth, as I mentioned, across the board. But is Sean McDermott a top 10 coach in the NFL? Because this list had the top 10. Belichick, Reed, Harbaugh, Peyton, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, Doug Peterson, Mike Zimmer were their list. Well, I love Sean McDermott. I've said it a couple times this morning. He is a great coach and I think a person that a franchise should believe in. Who on this list, who of these 10 guys do you put McDermott ahead of? Certainly not Belichick, Reed, Harbaugh, Sean Payton. Those four guys have all won Super Bowls. And, of course, I think that guy Belichick won a couple. Kyle Shanahan is at five. And to me, that's a little high for Kyle Shanahan. The analytics people love Kyle Shanahan. Play caller, genius. And, frankly, he's done very well. I always remember this, that if Kyle Shanahan was such a great play caller, the Atlanta Falcons would have had a Super Bowl ring. Because if he runs the football Literally, one more time, one more, they win the game easily. Not even a question. 28-3 to is not something we bring up, but he didn't. And, you know, credit to him last year as the season wore on and his defense was the strength of his team. Would They ran it eight times in a playoff win or threw it eight times in a playoff win. Kyle Shanahan's very smart. Sean McVay brings the Rams to the Super Bowl. Injuries, cap issues last year. I don't know that McVeigh again, is going to be the guy that we look back on in history and is who we thought he was going to become. Because we live in the day and age, if you do something once, you're the man. You're absolutely the best. I'm not sure McVeigh will ever live up to what we expect of him now. But certainly a great offensive mind. Would you take McDermott over McVeigh? I would not. I, I think McVeigh is very innovative. I also think he creates a great culture like McDermott. I think that's a spot maybe you can argue, but for my money at this point, McVeigh, Mike Tomlin. And I don't think there's a question. I think Tomlin is underrated with what he has done over a long period of time, including winning the Super Bowl with the Steelers. You look at what they did last year, almost making the playoffs at 500 without a quarterback, and, and it comes back to Mike Tomlin keeping that team together. Pete Carroll, when Pete Carroll got to to Seattle, he built a great defense, won a Super Bowl. They're now a competitive team because they have a great quarterback and have built around him. Now the defense is coming back, but I think Pete is a great, great coach. Doug Peterson is on this list, as is Mike Zimmer. And, and they, I get the arguments for McDermott against these guys. But Peterson won a Super Bowl. Peterson 
has shown the ability, and even last year, with nothing on the outside, everyone gives credit to Carson Wentz, the schemes drawn up by Peterson allowed Carson Wentz to find guys that were coming off the street to play football. So I, I really think Doug Peterson's offensive ability is deserving. And if I'm hiring a guy right now, Doug Peterson or Sean McDermott, I'm going to hire Doug Peterson. I, I think that's a fair thing. I think Mike Zimmer and Sean McDermott are great comparison. Both defensive guys, both strong guys who don't put up with a lot of crap. They're guys who build around culture. And the one thing I'll say about Zimmer is 59-41-1 record. He's done it much longer than McDermott. And I think he's somebody who, going forward, is going to win a Super Bowl because the Vikings, they continue to build offensively to match that defense. Now, the defense has gotten a little bit older, but Zimmer's been able to, to keep them playing at a high level for a very long time. So the top 10, I don't believe McDermott belongs in that top 10. And I'm not speaking bad about him. I think he's a great coach, and I think what he's done is just short of miraculous because I didn't think anybody would be able to do what he's done in Buffalo, especially now knowing what we know about the Pagulas as owners. He's done it in spite of arguably the worst owners in the NFL. So I love what he's done. But I want to take this list a little further because if he's not top 10, that automatically would make him number 11, correct? Well, I'm not sure because you've got guys who aren't on this list like Mike McCarthy, who was a great coach in Green Bay for a long time, won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. Would you take McDermott over McCarthy? How about John Gruden? Gruden won the Super Bowl. He's building something out in the desert with the Raiders, and I think they have a chance to be very good. How about Bruce Arians? Would you take McDermott over Bruce Arians? Now, before you say automatically yes, did you know that Bruce Arians' career record, 65-41-1? And, and did you know that Bruce Arians was in Arizona? Arizona's never really been good. They were under Bruce Arians. Mike Vrabel's an interesting guy. He's only had two years in. But I find him and McDermott to be very similar. They built a culture. They built a tough, nasty defense. They want an offense that'll punch in the mouth. And their players love them. Vrabel and McDermott are very similar guys. And I'm intrigued to see where they go from here. Ron Rivera in Washington is a guy I think who got to a Super Bowl and never got credit for doing so. But, again, who would you rather have? Ron Rivera or McDermott? And I could go either way on that one. I think the most interesting one is the last guy I have on this list, and it's Anthony Lynn, the guy that Bills chose not to hire, or maybe not even interview. I guess he did get an interview when McDermott was hired, but he ended up going out to L.A., I've always wondered who is going to be the better coach between the two. McDermott's 25-23, 0-2 in the playoffs. Gruden, or I'm sorry, Anthony Lynn, 27-23. and 23. So very similar results. And now their teams are also very similar based around a young quarterback, based around a strong defensive line, going to try to run the football. Uh, this is going to be fun to see as it plays out. But if Sean McDermott's a top 14 coach, we'll say. Top 14. 
Is that a bad thing? Is anyone going to be upset by that other than Bill's Mafia who think he's walking on water and the greatest coach of all time? I'm much more concerned with this fact. He has one year left on his deal after this year. Guy on this list, Kyle Shanahan, who doesn't have a winning record in the regular season but did go to the Super Bowl, just got his deal ripped up after his third year, got a six-year extension paying him almost $10 million a year. Sean McDermott should get something similar. I don't, I'm not saying 10 million, but I will say eight. And it's got to be five years again. And it worries me that he and Brandon Bean have not yet received those extensions. Now, they may be in the works, but with all that's gone on at Pagula Sports, and I'm going to get to my friend Kim Pagula later in the podcast. This has me a little worried. I think Sean McDermott's done a great job. I think he's a top 15 coach in the NFL. And I think that's more than good enough. And if he goes out and has the year this year that many people expect, if he wins the AFC East, wins a playoff game or two, I'll put him in the top 10. He's not in the top 10 yet, but he can get there. Speaking of rankings, it's the time of year where we do all this stuff. And with Cam Newton going to the AFC East, there's been a lot of discussion. Best quarterbacks in the AFC East. Who's the best quarterback in the AFC East if you're going forward for this year? And again, Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, combination in New England, Josh Allen certainly in Buffalo. You've got Sam Darnold in New York and down south in Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who will likely either early on or at some point give way to Tua Tungavailo, who, as a rookie, I think will make some great throws and make some plays that you go, ah, he was drafted uh, really that high, huh? That's strange. But I think Tua will be fine over time. It's just rookie quarterbacks do what rookie quarterbacks do. So who is the best quarterback in the AFC East? Well, as I said, for this year, if healthy, I trust Cam Newton more than Josh Allen. So I put Cam Newton and I put Jared Stidham, kind of a coupled entry, as the best quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen to me, or I'm sorry, in the NFC East, not the NFL, NFC East. Josh Allen is second to me. And a lot of people, especially any Jet fan out there, just lost their mind. How can you possibly say? that Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. Like, I, I'm a USC fan. I watch a lot of USC football. Sam Darnold is the same guy this year, last year, four years ago when he was at USC. He's not changed a bit, and some of that is great. Sam Darnold can make every throw on the football field, make every play on the football field. However, there's going to be two or three plays a game that Sam Darnold makes that you go, what the hell was that? He's had injury problems. And looking up, doing some research, Sam Darnold's success in his first two years as an NFL quarterback, there has been success. His first year, he was 4-9 as a starter. This past year, he was 7-6 as a starter. And many Jet fans look, Hey, look at what happened after Sam got back. Well, if you remember, Darnold had mono early on. The Jets' first six weeks of their schedule was brutal. 
Darnold came back in the latter half of the year when the schedule eased up. His 11 wins so far in two years of the NFL include the total of one. One win against a team with a winning record. As a rookie, he beat the Indianapolis Colts, who that year finished with a 10-6 and record. Other than that, he hasn't beaten anybody with a winning record. Last year, he beat a couple 500 teams, Dallas Cowboys being one of them. But you look at it, he had big wins over the Giants, the Redskins, the Dolphins. It's just not an impressive body of work. When I see Sam play great against good competition, I'll start to buy in. But until then, all those questions I talked about with Josh Allen, they're very much in play with Sam Darnold as well. And I got to throw this out there. Sam doesn't get any help from the sideline. I talked about Cam Newton, the relationship with Belichick and Josh McDaniels with him. I think that's a major asset for Cam Newton in New England. When you look at what's on the sideline in Adam Gase, now Gase may be the quarterback guru, but because he can't coach a football team, it hurts Sam Darnold greatly. While he may be helping Sam in some ways, his overall lack of ability is certainly something that hurts Sam. So my AFC East ranking, Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and then the Dolphins' young and old situation. So that's where I see things going into this year. But, again, it's going to be fun to watch because there's a lot of pressure on Josh Allen. There are expectations for Sam Darnold, who better take a huge step forward. And the situation in New England, that's one that we all should sign up to watch because that's going to be a lot of fun to see how Cam Newton and or Jared Stidham perform in that situation. I mentioned my friend Kim Pagula and the Pagulas. I, I don't know that I can go a show without mentioning something that she does or says that I look at and go, what? And Kim did it again this week, talking to the media and talking about what she looks for in hiring people. And she certainly hired a lot of people because she's fired a lot of people. She said that she looks for authenticity when it comes to hiring a coach. When you look at Ralph Kruger as a Sabres coach, and sure, that fits. Sean McDermott most certainly seems incredibly authentic. Her first head coach hire in the NFL was a guy named Rex Ryan. Find me a more inauthentic person walking the face of the earth, not in the NFL, walking the face of the earth than Rex Ryan. That clown is a salesman, pure and simple. And Kim bought it hook, line, and sinker. How can you say you look for authenticity and in the same time your resume includes you hiring Rex Ryan? I'm not looking to bash Rex. He is what he is. He's always been the guy he is. He's never pretended to be anything other than a clown. And she bought into it. And she bought his entire shtick, hook, line, and sinker. Five-year, $25 million deal. I guarantee Sean McDermott. His five-year deal didn't come close to that $25 million mark. Now, Rex had a resume 
that McDermott didn't have. But three years in, and oh, by the way, Rex didn't make it three years. Three years in, Sean McDermott's done a ton more than Rex Ryan ever did in Buffalo. And inauthentic is unbelievable that you would say, that's what I look for. Now, the Sabres, they are back in the news. The NHL draft lottery was last week. I'd love to tell you who won, but because it's the NHL and Gary Bettman's still in charge, nobody knows. It'll be figured out probably, maybe, hopefully, after the joke of the season that's going to conclude shortly is played out. One of the teams first eliminated is going to get the number one overall pick. Sabres will pick eight. Yay! Get optimistic. That's going to change everything around. Another great player added to the – no. It's not going to mean much of anything. New GM Kevin Adams has his work cut out from for him right there. The Bills or the Sabers did make another move. I should say, arguably, PSA, PSE made another move. Chuck Lamatina, I believe is how you say Chuck's last name. He was the VP of Finance and Business Administration. He was also the treasurer of the Sabers Foundation. He got fired this week. You know, another move by PSE to be more economic, be more streamlined, you know, do all the things that they have to do to maintain the family lifestyle. According to John Vogel of The Athletic, and this may be one of those things that you look at and you go, wait, what? He looked up the 2018-2019 media guide for the Buffalo Sabres. Kim Pagula is on page eight of the media guide. So the president of PSE is on page eight. 30 of the next 40 pages, you know, each page is dedicated to a person and tells their story, who they are, what they do, how they got there. 30 of the next 40 pages of the media guide are people who are no longer with the organization. Kim has gone out and gotten rid of 75% of her support staff in the last two years. 75%. Now, I'm not saying things weren't broken and things didn't need to be fixed. They certainly did. However, when you clean house at that rate, do you expect to have immediate success? Is that even possible? Does anyone even know what their job is? When everyone gets hired at the same time, you go through a learning period of trying to figure it out. I don't care what business you're in. Everyone brought in at the same time. They have to figure each other out, figure themselves out, figure their jobs out. This clown show is going to go on for years. And I, again, Sabre fans, you have my sympathies because you are some of the best fans, not only in hockey, but in all of sports. You deserve so much better. And you've got the worst ownership group in the NHL holding you down. So that's your weekly Kim Pagula update. And hopefully one of these weeks I won't have something to criticize Kim about. Major League Baseball is supposed to come back. Now, there are so many things going on with COVID right now that baseball's coming back. Hopefully opening day being July 23rd and 24th. Later this week, teams will meet for spring training. You know, that's going to be July 1st. You get a couple weeks to get things, get guys in shape, 
get guys ready to go out there. Teams release their 60-man player pool. So you're going to have 60 people to use as a taxi squad. Some organizations brought their top prospects in so they can work with them all year. Anyone who's not on that list is free to play independent ball this summer. So if there's a top prospect and he's playing independent ball, there's a risk of injury. And frankly, if I'm an agent for a kid, I want that kid to play. He needs to continue to grow. Some organizations, the Mets, decided that, oh, we could bring 60? Well, we'll only announce 45. What? Why? Bizarre, I know. But it's such a very Met thing to do. We're also getting hints at the schedule. 40 divisional games. We don't know what the divisions are going to be, but very likely different from other years, traditional division alignment. It's going to be a DH in in all games, universal DH, and extra innings, it's that gimmick with you start a player on second base. So, yeah, good luck with that. And if you're a relief pitcher, you come in with a guy on second, start the inning, and if you take a loss, you take a loss. goes on your record. Not going to be all that great. But we're also seeing changes in COVID that are going on that are going to change some things. Here in New York, knock on wood, things seem to be going pretty well to the point where our governor has decided he's going to come up with a list of states that if you travel to New York from these states, we're expecting a two-week quarantine. That list is expected to be around seven or eight states, states where there are definite hot bed of breakout COVID growth. California possibly being one, Texas, Arizona, Florida. Well, what do those states all have in common? Oh, I know. They all have baseball teams. So if a team has to travel like the Marlins or the Rays from Florida to New York, they got to be quarantined for two weeks before they can play a game. Yet MLB is swimmingly going on. Yeah, no, we're July 23rd, 24th. It's already leaked out. The Yankees and Nats are going to play week one, game one. Scherzer against Garrett Cole. It'd be great. Wait, but what about these other things? No, they're not worrying about that. Well, maybe they're worrying about it, but they're not addressing it. Three players yesterday announced that they're not going to take part. They're going to opt out for this year. Chris Leak, Ryan Zimmerman of the defending champion Nationals, and Ian Desmond. And for different reasons. Desmond believes that the social movements that are going on right now require his time more than potentially playing 60 games of baseball. And credit to him for that. Ryan Zimmerman looks at his family situation and his health. It's more important. I don't believe these are the only three. As a matter of fact, one guy who didn't sound 100% on coming back was was Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. In my opinion, the best first baseman in the National League. If a guy like Rizzo, a superstar, true superstar, doesn't come back, baseball's got a problem on its hands. I think baseball's going forward because of the money, hoping that they can figure out a way to get through this season, get to the playoffs, put the playoffs on TV, collect the playoff revenue money from the networks, and then hopefully get things started in 2021 with some sense of normalcy. I don't think that's going to happen, but I really think this is what it's going to bring. Now, if the baseball season does go on, I have one suggestion that Major League Baseball has got to do 
if you're a baseball fan and you watch games on TV, the blackout rule is one of the dumbest things in baseball that you could have. Here, locally, if you don't have Spectrum or DirecTV or something where you get the local SNY and Yes networks, you cannot watch the Yankees or Mets on the Major League Baseball package. They're blacked out because they're our home teams. We live in Rochester. It's five and a half hours minimum to New York. Toronto's four hours. Pittsburgh's four and a half. Cleveland's four and a half. They're closer. But we're in that market. If Major League Baseball doesn't get rid of the blackout rule this year, because let's face it, use the black out games to force fans to go to the games. That was the point of a blackout rule. We show them all on TV, then no fans will come. Well, no fans can go anyway this year. So get rid of the blackout rule and help grow your game. That's something that 1,000% has to happen. We'll see if Major League Baseball does that. As we hope for baseball, we hope in the fall we're going to get to other sports, college football, the NFL. One college football story has me intrigued. The Clemson Tigers reportedly have had 37 cases of COVID on their football team. College football team, the roster is generally 90 to 100 players. So we'll say 37% of their players have tested positive for COVID. Many are non-asymptomatic. Many don't have any issues with them. You look going forward, there are going to be times during this season, regardless of the sport that we're going to try to pick up, that player X is not going to be able to play. Player Y is going to get COVID and he'll be out for a month. And it's going to affect seasons. Clemson's one of the best football programs in the country. Every year you can pencil in Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama to the Final Four of college football. It's just a matter of who's going to be the fourth team. Clemson, right now, based on this, is the leader in the clubhouse. Nick Saban's got to be thinking, i got to get my guys some COVID. Because if Clemson has everyone go through the COVID thing now, they're not going to have that problem during the season. They're going to be healthy during the season. And I do think that COVID is going to be an enormous part of sports. You look at the NBA coming back. The Nets have lost a couple players, including DeAndre Jordan, because they have COVID. So they will not be down in Orlando. The teams that handle this the best, if they get to the point where we're actually playing games, are the teams that are going to win. The teams that handle it the worst are going to be the teams that don't win. And it's not much more difficult than that. This is a huge thing. And keep your eye on college football play. Now, for a college football player generally, and I'm generalizing here, COVID is nowhere near as bad as it is for, say, an elderly person. Young people, especially young, healthy people like college football athletes, are generally the COVID situation is much less severe. It's when they go back home, see their parents, grandparents, things like that, where it could be a very big problem. But for college kids to get it, it's almost 
a good thing to get it now when it's controlled, where they're going to be quarantined by the university, dealt with by the university, and then possibly help develop a herd immunity. It's a good thing for that team, not necessarily a good thing overall. But keep an eye on that because as we go forward to what we hope are the coming back of real sports, the teams that have had these outbreaks may be in a much better position going forward long term. So COVID be damned, we're coming back. And if you know you get in our way, we'll just figure out a way around you. That's the attitude of sports now. I don't think it's going to work that way, but I still hope that we have sports to watch. In the meantime, tune in every week. Sign on to one of our many outlets. Keep enjoying the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Falking Around. I'm Carl Falk. Have a great week.